part four of the Discover the Word Group's six-part study of Galatians. We'll be getting underway in just a moment, and the focus in this episode on Galatians chapter four begins in what may seem like kind of a strange place. It begins with a word about babysitting, and as strange as it seems, that really has my attention because one of my favorite jobs right now is being a babysitter. My wife and I have some young grandchildren and they need a babysitter at times because obviously at six and four and two years old, they aren't ready to be alone and care for themselves. They need a babysitter and we're more than willing to be that for them. But will they always need us to watch over them in the same way? Well, a word about babysitting is where we start part four of our study of Galatians called It's All About Grace on the Discover the Word podcast. And this is Discover the Word, the small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries. And for six weeks this summer, or I guess winter, if you're listening in the Southern Hemisphere, uh, Mark Dehan and Elisa Morgan and Bill Crowder, and Daniel Ryan Day are exploring together the important message of Paul's New Testament letter to the churches in Galatia and finding it to be a message that indeed does speak to us today as well. We've really been enjoying taking the time to do this, and we hope you have too. Not that it's been all that easy all the time. There are some tough things here in Galatians, especially in these middle two chapters, chapters three and four. But uh, this is another example of how studying the scriptures together can be so helpful. And once again, in this episode, Daniel has been tasked with leading us. And so let's listen as he begins week four, focusing on Galatians chapter four, with this question for Mart and Elisa and Bill. Anyone have any funny babysitter stories? I can start to give you yeah, a chance. Yeah, I think, think. you better. You're closer okay, to it so than we evidently, are. Evidently, and this is according to my sister because I do not remember this. Evidently, when I was left at home with my youngest sister, I would lock her in her room and just do whatever I wanted. I don't buy it, but she <laughs> promises that happened. <laughs> we had an experience when I was about five years old. My cousins and I, we had two houses live next door, and there was a babysitter. And uh, we went out in the field. We got a garter snake. And she was <laughs> petrified. She locked herself you in the bathroom and wouldn't come out. <laughs> and oh, she was in there Mark. for the longest time. And <laughs> down through the years, she, come out? she reminded us of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't have a lot of babysitter stories. What I just remember is when our kids were small, we were just so thankful for a babysitter because just to have an evening away was such a gift that somebody being willing to take on our kids was worth whatever they were going to charge. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I've got nothing to add here. You know, I was raised by a single mom, and so we were by ourselves all the time. And mm. so I was my own babysitter, and I just mm. confess that was no good. From how early well, age? Well, close to being a teenager. So okay. it wasn't completely unrealistic. 10, right. 10 11, yeah. Okay. Today we're going to read a text that I think suggests all of us, humanity, needed a babysitter for a little while. Mm. In this context, the babysitter is not a person. It was a code of conduct, a set of rules, regulations that were meant to protect. We talked a lot about that in the last series on chapter three, which this is probably a good time to mention. We're in the middle of Galatians. Galatians chapter four. This is a new week as we go into a new chapter Mm -hmm. of Galatians. For the first time, this group is actually going through 
a book of the Bible together. Bill, thanks for leading us through one and two. And Elisa, you're coming up next, right? Coming up next week. Yep. And Mart's helping us stay out of the weeds, uh, which has been really helpful, especially in chapter three. Mm-hmm. But as we turn into a new week into chapter four, the end of chapter three, we were talking a lot about this idea that the law was a guardian or a protector. And Paul's going to build on that a little bit, this idea that the law is almost a babysitter that humanity needed for a while. Let's read that. Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Elisa, would you read that for us? Sure. What I'm saying, Paul says, is that as long as an heir is underage, he's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father, So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. So we ended last week talking about how we are recipients through faith of the promise of Abraham, which is that all of the world would be blessed. And specifically the way that plays out is we become sons and daughters of God. But before that, (laughs) we needed somebody to watch out for us. This uh, section starts off talking about heirs. Heirs, as long as they are minors, are no better than slaves. What does that mean? Yeah, we're speaking about a very patriarchal culture Mm -hmm. where the father ruled the house. The wife had no rights. Mm -hmm. The children had no rights. And so they weren't that much different from a slave who had no rights. Mm -hmm. And they were placed under a guardian. What's the purpose of a guardian or a trustee? To protect and to teach and to raise up. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. protection, teaching, this idea that we're guarded and we're guarded while what? While we're underage, Mm -hmm. while we're waiting for that time to come. Mm -hmm. And that's where Paul turns. He says, but when the fullness of time had come, what happened? Jesus came. Jesus came. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law in order to redeem those who were under the law. Why are those two pieces important? Hmm. I think Jesus was born under the law, he said, I've not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And as he perfectly fulfilled the law that we could not perfectly fulfill, then he was able to rescue us because he had done for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Yeah. I wonder too if the idea of born of a woman here echoes of Eve. Mm. We're all come into the world through Eve. And even then, we've talked about before, After the failure of our first two parents, there were the consequences of their wrong, of their sin. And early on, God promised that there would be an heir, there'd be a child, a son of the woman. The seed we talked about. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that would one day defeat the enemy, Mm -hmm. overcome the consequence. Does it also stress, in a way, his humanity? He is born of a woman. He didn't just appear on the earth. And I think that's important because Mm -hmm. not for the Galatians so much, but for a later generation, 20 years later, there would be a great controversy as to whether Jesus was really fully human or not. Mm -hmm. And this is already speaking into that even before that became a problem. Mm -hmm. 
And before we move on from it, too, you know, Bill, you talked about the patriarchal culture and in the verses that precede what we've just read, the end of chapter three, which we just briefly touched on last time, when we are in Christ, you know, separate from the law, we look like Jesus, whether mm-hmm. we're Jew or Greek or male or female or slave or free. And that's a beautiful continuation mm-hmm. of this. We're adopted as sons and daughters, able to call God Abba because mm-hmm. of Jesus being born of the law and of a woman. I'm trying to think of how, first of all, the Galatians that have been wooed, right? There's been something about the teaching of these false teachers that has been captivating to them, that they've been drawn to. Mm. Not only that, but one of the questions that we've thrown around a couple times over the past few weeks is, was Paul, did he just despise these false teachers or did he care about them? Mm. As I've looked at this section specifically, this is where I see Paul's compassion Mm. for the Galatians and Paul's compassion for those false teachers because he's making a point that Jesus cared about the law. He was born under the law. He fulfilled the law. He was that literal descendant of Abraham. So he's a Jew. Mm -hmm. So all these things that they feel are really important that shouldn't get lost, Mm -hmm. Paul's acknowledging these are really important and shouldn't get lost. Mm -hmm. And taking them further into fulfillment. Yeah, Mm -hmm. but it's the application of it is where we're missing it. Mm -hmm. The law and the promise, as we talked about last week, are not in opposition to one another. The law was important. It was a parent. It was a guardian. It was a trustee. It protected. It taught. Jesus thought that the law was important too. And he came and he fulfilled the law in a way that none of us could. Why? Why did he do that? And Paul answers that. How does this section end? Why did Jesus come, born of a woman, to fulfill this very important law? Why? So that we would no longer be children in need of that guardianship, but that we could become the sons and daughters, fully adult sons and daughters who could cry out to the Abba. I no longer a slave, but a Mm -hmm. child in contrast. The way you're casting this, Daniel, is making me imagine the readers of this letter as it circulated in the province of Galatia to different churches. It's making me understand that Judaizers would be possibly and probably in those churches Mm -hmm. as well. And it's like when we share a truth in a sermon and we know that there are people in all stages of their spiritual journey. You know, Mm -hmm. there are those who've known Jesus for a long time. There are those who are still on the fence and not sure if they can. And you sense Paul preaching to even those who have disqualified themselves by believing erroneously, putting their trust in the law rather than in the Savior and wooing them forward. No, that's good. It just seems to like he wants so much for them to know that their lives can be ordered now, not by all this culture of rules and laws, but by the Spirit of Christ, mm-hmm. that the Spirit of Christ now brings a goodness mm-hmm. and brings a caring for one another. It's not a matter of what you have to and should and ought to do. Yeah. The same Spirit that enables us to cry, Abba, Father, is the Spirit who can enable us to live different lives, yeah. not in our own energy, but in what He provides. Yeah. And I love how it gets more personal at mm-hmm. the end of this. Last week, we ended mm-hmm. by saying we're sons and daughters. Paul takes it a step further. He uses a very, very personal term, this concept of Abba or Daddy. Not only are you sons and daughters, but this is a God who's close enough now that we can run to him, mm-hmm. we can cry to him, we can rest in him, we can call out Abba, Daddy, and he hears us. 
Have you ever worked on a project and then at the end you felt like you completely wasted your time? <laughs> when I did it wrong, like one time I put together a bookshelf unit and I put it on upside down. Yeah, so often I've tried to fix things and I've ruined them in the process. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah, I think that's more in those kind of things. I think a lot of the things that like home improvement projects and things oh. like that, any place where you're operating outside your natural yeah. skill set, even if you do the very best job you can do, you're going to see all the flaws in it. Yeah. 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 I have some experience with home improvement just because my dad was in construction. But the story that I was thinking of is recently I was putting in some laminate lock flooring where it locks together. Mm -hmm. And there was a, uh, a piece of furniture that I needed to move to keep going. And the way I grabbed the furniture, I undid a whole section of the lock <laughs> flooring because of the way I moved it. And I just remember how frustrating that was because it had looked so good before. Yeah. And then I had wasted that time. Do you resonate with that, with the frustration? Yeah. No question about it. It's interesting to me, Paul, in several parts in Galatians, makes a similar statement like, have I completely wasted my time? Mm. I don't know about you. Does that surprise you that Paul, of all people, would think that he wasted his time? It really doesn't surprise me because, <laughs> I mean, I kind of come at it like it almost sounds like, well, you bunch of bums. I mean, you know, <laughs> I could have spent my time working with the people in Philippi and it would have been great, you know, or something like that. I no, mean, tongue and, in cheek, right? Right. Yeah. Of yeah, okay. course. All of right. course. But, I mean, there is a sense in which it feels like he's up here and they're down there. And they're a waste of his time, mm -hmm. you know. And I know that's not what he means, but it can feel that way. Yeah. Hmm. I just feel like Paul he felt so sorry for them. He invested so much in them. Hmm. And now he just felt like they're going backward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm reminded I have several painful stories that come to mind of people that I know who were having such victory over specifically drug abuse. Yeah. And they had come through this time and everybody's celebrating with them. And then they ended up dying because they fell back and they fell back harder than before. Yeah, oh, that's so hard. Yeah. And, um, mm -hmm. and I think there's a lot of people that can relate to that. Oh, yeah, mm -hmm. it's very typical in recovery, isn't it? Yeah. So often you'll have the lapses, the fallbacks, sure. and it's just part of the, the process. Relapse of, is part yeah. of recovery. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. I look at from my pastoral years of when I would work with couples whose marriages were struggling and we go through long seasons of working together. And then it would seem like, okay, they're really on their way. And then a couple of years later, you find out they've gotten a divorce and the marriage is gone and you just feel like, oh, man. Well, and we yeah. constantly, we've been in a lot of conversations about kids, you know, three steps forward, two steps back. Sure. But is it net gain, mm -hmm. you know, and really need that perspective. That's true. And I think about in my own life and my spiritual growth, the times where I get angry and respond out of anger is like, wait a second, that was the old Daniel. Yeah. Why is he coming back again where we slip yep. a little yeah. bit yep. and go backwards? Those are the types of things I think that Paul is thinking about as he's writing this section in Galatians. Let's go ahead and read it. And I think those who are joining us around the table will see that as well. Galatians chapter four, verses eight through 11. Bill, will you read that for us? Sure. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to beings that by nature are not God's. Now, however, that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and beggarly elemental spirits? How can you want to be enslaved to them again? You're observing special days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid that my work for you may have been wasted. Wow, I'm afraid that my work for you may have been wasted. That alone should cause us to pause. Mm -hmm. 
right? Mm-hmm. If Paul's struggling with this, then man, what does that look like to feel like all of your energy and your effort and your teaching has been wasted? Well, it echoes where he said in previous passages, you know, are we not trusting in the crucifixion? I think it's the end of chapter two. If the righteousness could be attained through the law, Jesus died for nothing. Yeah, yeah that's <gasps> even more significant yes. than whether Paul's work was for nothing. That's I mean, true. if the cross was for nothing. Right. Yeah. I'm struck, Daniel, and I know you want to get into that, but I'm struck by this. Now that you've come to know God, or rather mm-hmm. to be known by God. That I just, me too. Mm-hmm. I just think that that's such a rich phrase to think that we are known by God. I think that is the whole point of this section. Because they're in the midst of hearing these teachers say that they need to do something to get God to know them and notice them, accept them. Mm. Be circumcised, keep yep. the law. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost like Paul has that sensitivity to that as he yeah. writes it. They're known by God. Yeah. But somebody could say, well, wait a minute. They've always been known by God, right? I mean, True. God knows everything. So, Bill, what are you hearing in those well, words? What I'm hearing is more relational. I mean, don't take this the same way, but I remember as a kid— hearing the King James Bible, and it would say Adam knew his wife, mm-hmm. and she became pregnant. Obviously, he knew who she was and but everything, it was the but intimacy. There, there was an intimacy of well, that kind of and knowledge. And it's coming straight out of, you know, of course, we have these separations in our text, but it comes straight out of the conversation where we're no longer slaves and we're no longer minors, you know, children, but we're actually full sons and daughters. So I think that echoes a lot of that relational feel you're talking mm-hmm. about. Okay. Sons and daughters on a very personal level with God now. Abba, Father, mm-hmm. right? Daddy. These are personal, intimate. I love these kids. Mm-hmm. They can look at me and say, Abba, Father, Daddy, I know them. Mm-hmm. I wonder if sometimes too, it isn't the idea that God is saying, and now I see you in the sense that I made you for this. Mm-hmm. You know, So it's like I recognize you in the sense that you're becoming true to what you've been mm-hmm. designed and created Absolutely, and yes. adopted for. You're clothed yeah. in Christ. That's yeah. another verse mm-hmm. we have earlier. And it's now that God sees us through Jesus. He yeah. sees, truly can see all of who we are. So we right. can call him daddy, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> but he calls us by that very yeah. warm, mm-hmm. personal, right. intimate, all that he wants us to be. My child. Kind of identification. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so if we're going to understand the frustration that Paul feels, that he feels he's wasted his time, I think it comes out of that. The fact that he knows that they are loved by God, personal, known, Abba Daddy kind of relationship. Mm-hmm. Like this is a very personal relationship. But what does he say? You're going to turn your back on that? Mm-hmm. Are you really going to go away from this personal, intimate relationship? And go back to what he calls elementary and beggarly and weak mm-hmm. elemental spirits of the world. Oh, the prodigal son and the father comes into my heart right here. And who many of us have lived through seasons in our children's lives or in our own lives mm-hmm. where rebellion against your father or your mother has happened. And the heartbreak, and talk about, you know, in vain, doing all the efforts in vain. Think of the sacrifice that fathers and mothers make for their children and their children run away. This is really real. I love the way you're helping us see this, Daniel. What are you seeing in those synonyms you use? You talked about beggarly. Yeah, so um, I think that's important. It's kind of a weird phrase to Mm -hmm. us, elemental spirits. What does that mean? It shows up in the Bible in several other places. Hebrews 5.12, it says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic elements of the oracles of God. So it's that idea of basic elements. 
First Peter 3.10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a loud noise and the elements will be dissolved with fire. In this example, it's the elements you'd find on the periodic table of the elements, right? It's the things that you see in the physical world. Colossians 2.8, see to it that no one takes you captive according to the elemental spirits of the universe. Galatians 4, 8 through 9, which is where we are, you have the beggarly or the weak elemental spirit. So I think it really just comes down to this elemental understanding. Kind of building blocks. Is he thinking back in terms of the law that had its place in time, and now you kind of want to go back under the old schoolmaster, guardian? I think if you put it within the context of what we're talking about, yes, absolutely. Scholars, based on all the stuff I saw, actually are kind of still confused over what he means. Does he mean spiritual warfare, where they're talking about spirits that are deceiving them? Well, there's obviously deceit there. Is he talking about that they're focused on these simple seasons, right? Because he describes that in that section. He says that you're observing special days, months, and seasons, and years, which Mm. would be ways of celebrating the God of the wind or the God of whatever, or in the Mosaic law, following those feasts. Yeah as if that's all that matters. So there's something of temporary, there's something temporary, basic. Yeah. When you talk about the elemental things of the world that'll be burned up, it's kind of like you're falling back into temporary stuff. And yet you've been given so much more yeah. in terms of not just intimacy with God, but awareness and relationship mm-hmm. and all those things. Why are you going back? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what is Paul trying to say? I think he's saying, look, you know God, or better yet, he knows you. Mm-hmm. He loves you. He has this relationship with you. Do you really want to walk away from that? Yeah, it is so easy to get distracted and in a sense waste our time by not focusing on what really does matter most. And wouldn't it be a tragedy to not pay enough attention to our relationship with our Heavenly Father? listening to the Discover the Word podcast with your friends Mark Hahn, Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and Daniel Ryan Day. And this is part four of our series titled, It's All About Grace, as we spend six episodes studying our way through the letter to the Galatians. And so, can I ask you something? What's the story behind when you met one of your best friends? Uh, it's usually a pretty good story associated with that. Uh, fun for you to remember and tell, and fun for people to hear. And so in the next part of our conversation about Galatians chapter 4, we're going to learn the story behind when Paul got to know the group of friends and his travels to the region of Galatia. It's a good story, and it gives us some insight into what we now read in our New Testaments in the book of Galatians. So we'll talk about that right after this word from Our Daily Bread Ministries. Now, Discover the Word is just one of the Bible engagement strategies of Our Daily Bread Ministries. Uh, We also have a wide variety of other audio and video and print and online resources. And during the six episodes of this Galatians study, I'm taking some time in each one of the episodes to highlight for you some of the devotional material that we publish that many find a helpful method of connecting with God in a consistent and meaningful way. We have devotionals for everyone, basically, including some targeted to women, some to men, and children and families. And so in this episode, I'm going to focus on those for kids and families. 
And I'll start with one called Our Daily Bread for Kids. If you've been looking for ways to help your children or your grandchildren learn and grow spiritually without being too preachy or too boring or too demanding, well, best-selling children's author Crystal Bowman and her daughter Terry McKinley present short and engaging devotions, easy-to-remember Bible verses, and exciting facts that encourage kids to get in the habit of spending time with God. This illustrated, kid-friendly version of the well-known Our Daily Bread devotional is perfect for children ages 6 through 10. So check it out. In our store, just go to discovertheword.org and click Store, and then type Devotions for Kids into the search bar, and you will see Our Daily Bread for Kids right there. Discovertheword.org. Click Store and search Devotions for Kids. And now back to our study of Galatians chapter 4 and how it's all about grace. Anyone know any passionate people? Anybody come to mind? You don't have to say names necessarily, but what makes them passionate? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I've got a younger brother. I got two younger brothers and uh, they have different kinds of strengths. My youngest brother has passion. Mm. It's just so much fun to watch him. Mm. He gets involved in the scriptures. He gets involved in life. He gets involved with his family. Mm. And there's just a different emotion that comes through. Yeah. What about misguided passions? Mm. When I think of misguided passion, I think of the Nazis Mm. in World War II. I mean, you see these columns of soldiers marching and marching and marching. And the energy and the passion and all the stuff that they were putting into an absolutely misguided cause. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, today we're going to see people with misguided passion. Mm. They're pursuing the wrong things. This week, we're building off of the last three weeks, Galatians 1, 2, and 3. And we're going to go through the whole book together. Today, we're still in chapter 4, working through some pretty complicated stories. It gets even more complicated after today. Yay. Um, <laughs> but for today, let's read Galatians four eleven through 20. And listen for just, does anything strike you as a misguided passion or would fall kind of into that category? Mm. Elisa, will you start us and we'll just read around the table? Sure. I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. But you know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. And that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. What has become of the goodwill you felt? For I testify that had it been possible, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those false teachers are are so eager to win your favor, but their intentions are not good. They're trying to shut you off from me so that you will pay attention only to them. It's fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I'm with you. My dear children for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I'm perplexed about you. 
It's interesting. He's talking to them about their zealousness, and he started off the letter talking about his own zealousness, <laughs> which was also misguided at right. that time, right? Right. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and that term zealous or zeal is that term for passion, being passionate about something, mm-hmm. which ends up being a lot of the focus of this section. Before we get into the zeal, we get a little background here, don't we? Why did Paul end up in Galatia? Physical illness, it looks like, which is kind of interesting to discover this far into the letter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's fascinating because we always talk about how God can use circumstances. Mm -hmm. Here was a circumstance that Paul was very uncomfortable in, right? He had some kind of sickness, and God used that to plant all these churches that he's now writing to. Mm -hmm. And it's in this kind of a passage that you're taking us through Daniel that causes uh, some people to think that maybe it was a problem with his eyesight because he says, you would have even given me your eyes if you could have. Mm -hmm. And I think that shows not only how serious his need was, but really how fully they had accepted him, that they would be willing to sacrifice so much for him. So what are you saying then? How did that contribute to the formation of these churches? Verse 13, he says, you know that it was because of a physical infirmity that I first announced the gospel to you. So, I mean, why? I mean, what's the connection between those two things? I think it sounds like from the context, again, one of the things we talked about in week one was we're only getting half the story because we're watching Paul's response. Okay. I think the pieces that probably most logically make sense is he was sick and had to stop a journey and he ended up in Galatia. Um, This is where he stopped. Now, whether he intended to preach there originally or not, we really don't know. Or to stay there that long, right? Or to stay there that long. But it seems like from the passage that the reason he stopped was because he was sick. Okay. And they used the sickness as an opportunity to bless him and take care of him. He says that it was a test for them, but they passed that test. Hmm. They were willing, as Bill said, to even rip out their eyes and give it to him if needed. He uses such strong language here to speak of their comfort in reverse, because apparently whatever the condition was, it must have been something that was really hard to look at, because he says, you did not despise or loathe me. Mm-hmm. And those are kind of rejection terms. Yeah, yeah treat yeah. me with contempt or scorn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think immediately of all the people I know that have dedicated their lives and served those with disabilities. Mm. Yeah. Immediately. Those people that they don't let anything that they see get in the way of loving people the way that Jesus does. Mm. And it's not just them. It's also the people that they're sick and they're hurting. Many who are probably joining us today who are in pain and God uses their pain to bless others. I think of my wife. She was in a condition 12 months ago. She couldn't walk because she was in so much pain. And yet as she started getting to go to the gym and do some exercise in the pool, she's had all these conversations with people just like her who are in pain and she can love on them through that pain. Mm-hmm. And so if, there, if there's one takeaway already from this very yeah. complicated yeah. section, it's that God can use sickness both ways. Yeah to bless those who are hurting and then those who are sick to bless others. It creates an occasion. Yeah. It creates a circumstance. And it also gives value and worth to the experience because sometimes we saw earlier, Paul say, I feel like I've wasted my time or Mm. this has all been for nothing. And sometimes when we're going through those difficult times, it feels like it's all for nothing. But suddenly we see, wait a minute, God can bring value. There's a mutuality to it. Yeah. yeah. And how interesting is it that this part of the story shows up in the middle of a section that we would say he's being the harshest toward the Galatians. Ah. If there's any time 
that these people were closer to each other, Paul and the churches in Galatia. It's when they were loving on him and he was loving on them. Mm-hmm. They had relationship. So then when we see terms like the way chapter three started with you foolish ones, we realize, wait, there's relationship here. Mm-hmm. He loves them. They love him. And we see that in this story. You know, through so much of this letter, we see that Paul is not just talking. He's mm-hmm. demonstrating what it means to be clothed with Christ because he's using himself mm-hmm. to communicate vulnerably his own need in a way that they can see their need reflected. Yeah. This really is, a, like you say, a Christ-like presence, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. I see that as well in verse 16, where he's trying to figure out what's going on. How did this happen? Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Mm. Verse 15, what has become of the goodwill you felt? Like we had this relationship and so quickly you're going away. You're not loving me anymore. What did I do? Yeah, but it's not just self-pity, is it? No. I mean, that's the beauty of what we're seeing here. Yeah. You know, Mark, you're absolutely right. And as he moves on in 1920, as we're looking at it here, he's been frustrated. He wants to give up. It's like he's wasted his Mm -hmm. time. That's kind of the threat in the air. But his follow-through is, I'm going to continue until you're delivered, you know, in childbirth. I'm going to continue. I wish I could even be with you in person. I think that's the key. Mm -hmm. Because rather than saying... I'm done with you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've wasted all the time I'm going to waste on you. No, he says, I want to be with you. Yeah. I want to sit down with you. I want to be present with you. And even if I have to change my tone as I talk to you, I want to do whatever it takes to get us to where we once were and need yeah. to be again. I become all things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think there's a painful question that's still floating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that question is that why question. How did I become your enemy now by yeah. telling you that the truth? Painful. And that's where the misguided passions come in. We see this section, they make much of you for no good purpose. They want to, they, the false teachers, make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to exclude you so that you may make much of them. It is good to be made much of, but for a good purpose. We have this idea that what they want, that phrase to be made much of is that zeal phrase that we talked about at the beginning, that passion for something. What the Galatians like is these false teachers are stroking their ego. Mm. They're making much of them. They're stroking those parts that I bet if we're honest, we struggle with too, which is it feels really good to be liked. Mm. It feels really good to be important. The false teachers, they want to be made much of. And Paul's saying, look, it's not a bad thing to feel that way, but God is the one who makes much of you. So don't pursue it on your own. I'm in the pains of childbirth. I have this heart pain for you right now as a father because I see you going the wrong direction, pursuing the wrong passion. That's not where it's at. It's here with the promise that God has for you, that he loves you. You don't need to be made much of because God has made much of you. Another important part of the conversation reminding us to be wary of misguided passions that can lead us away from God. In this episode, we're working our way through Galatians chapter 4 as part of our bigger six-episode study of the entire letter to the Galatians titled, It's All About Grace. And so, Lord of the Rings, the Chronicles of Narnia, Pilgrim's Progress, Animal Farm, The Wizard of Oz, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, what do all of those stories have in common? Well, kind of a strange collection, but all of those stories fit into the genre of allegory. They are all stories filled with symbolism that have a deeper, 
underlying message. And so next we're going to run into an allegory in our study of the New Testament book of Galatians. And like most allegories, you kind of have to work to uncover the meaning. And so what is the allegory that the Apostle Paul uses to reinforce the message he's communicating in Galatians that it's all about grace? Well, let's listen. What is an allegory? And do you have a favorite? Now, an allegory is where there are symbolic representations, kind of literally in a story. Even the names. The classic example would be Pilgrim's Progress, Mm -hmm. which is a giant, brilliantly constructed allegory. Christian is the main character, Mm -hmm. and you know. Yeah. So the idea is that it has some length to it, a simile or a metaphor, our word pictures usually. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. But this is like an extended this is a story. Uh-huh. word picture. And I don't want to get us too far off base, but I think one of the things that sometimes gets us in problems when we're reading Jesus's parables is they're parables, but we try to treat them like allegories <laughs> and try to make them mean yeah. more than was intended. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we can do the same thing with allegory, which is making them sound like facts, like a list of facts when the purpose of using it was to teach something else. Mm -hmm. And I think that's probably the disclaimer that we need as we go into today's passage, because Paul's going to tell us right at the beginning, hey, I'm going to tell you an allegory. I'm going to use that literary technique Mm -hmm. or device. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, an allegory is a type of metaphor. It's a story that uses story to teach a truth or to deliver a message. I think of it like, you know, if I said my son Finn climbed a tree like a monkey... I'm not mm-hmm. saying he used his tail to help him climb because he doesn't have one. I'm saying that he climbed a tree and monkeys climb trees mm-hmm. is basically what mm-hmm. I'm saying. And the reason I think that's a really important caution for this section is because Paul is going to use an incredibly uncomfortable and problematic Old Testament story. There's some human ugliness here. Yeah. Yeah. There's some injustice here. And it's painful because it's about a slave woman who has no rights who was impregnated by the guy that is married to her mistress. She's forced to carry a child, and then both of them are kicked out. I mean, it doesn't get more ugly and painful than that story. Well, especially because the man in question is the father of Israel. He's the one to whom the original promise has been given. And that's like, why are they doing all these messy things? Yeah, Yeah, and I think this is maybe a good place to remind ourselves, as we've talked about many times here at this table, and that's that sometimes the Bible's prescriptive and sometimes the Bible's descriptive. And when the Bible is describing events that happened among people, it's not necessarily saying, and this that's is good. What you should right. do. Or right. that's helpful <laughs> right. or you're commanded to do that also. No, it's just telling us this is how ugly life can be yeah. when you're broken people in a broken world. Mm. And that is exactly how I want us to walk into this story. Mm. Paul is using it to teach the Galatians about something. He's not creating nuance of an Old Testament story or teaching an Old Testament story. He's using that story to teach something else. And I think that's just really important as we walk into it because the story is painful. It's problematic. Okay, so in some ways it probably would be easier if we were reading fiction today, right? Correct. But we're not reading fiction. (laughs) Right. We're not reading a fictional allegory. Yeah. We're reading a historical series of events that Paul treats like an allegory. allegory. So we're going to read this passage. It's Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through 31. And there's a lot here, so we're going to spend two days 
walking through it so that we can make sure we take our time. So let's go ahead and just read the whole section. That way we have the whole context. Galatians 4, 21 through 31. Mark, will you start us, please? Okay. Paul writes, tell me, you who want to live under the law, do you know what the law actually says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. One, the child of the slave, was born according to the flesh. The other, the child of the free woman, was born through the promise. Now, this is an allegory. These women are two covenants. One woman, in fact, is Hagar from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the other woman, Sarah, represents the heavenly Jerusalem. She is the free woman. And she is our mother. For it is written, he's quoting here, Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Shout for joy and cry aloud, you who were never in labor. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Are we getting it yet? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's perfectly clear. (laughs) Now you, my friends, are children of the promise like Isaac. But just as at that time... The child who was born according to the flesh persecuted the child who was born according to the Spirit. So it is now also. But what does the Scripture say? Drive out the slave and her child, for the child of the slave will not share the inheritance with the child of the free woman. So then, friends, we are children, not of the slave. Can you understand why I said this is problematic? It's a tough story. Let's revisit what the story was. Who was Abraham? Who were the two women? Who were the two sons? Well, we've been talking really for the last three weeks about Abraham. He was Mm -hmm. the one who God said, I will make of you a great nation and I will give you a land and through you all the world will be blessed. And Abraham took God at his word and moved to a country that he didn't know. But even his backstory is important. He was just an idolater. He was a part of an idolatrous family and an idolatrous culture. And God just pulled him out to make something special out of him. And how many kids did Abraham have when God gave him that promise? (laughs) Zero. Zero. And he was old. And he was old. Very old. (laughs) So these two women, one is his wife, Sarah, who was also old and was barren, hadn't had children yet. And the other was Sarah's handmaid or slave, Hagar. She was an Egyptian, right? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And what was the story of Ishmael's conception and birth? Why did that happen? They got impatient, didn't they? Mm -hmm. They were old and they Mm -hmm. couldn't figure out how God was going to give them a son. They thought it was ridiculous. Yeah. So they had an idea. Mm -hmm. Sarah actually says, take my handmaid. And it's not unlike what would happen later with Jacob. Right. Mm -hmm. Abraham's grandson. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When his two wives would also give their handmaidens. Yeah. I mean, this was, was part customary. of this messed up mm-hmm. patriarchal culture that was yeah. the ancient world. Yeah. yeah, And it was Abraham and Sarah taking things into their own hands. Mm-hmm. It was 100% their idea. And Hagar's a victim. And Hagar's the victim. Here. And yet, as we're indicating, it was a part of the culture. So it wasn't yeah. as strange as mm-hmm. it sounds to us. But nevertheless, it wasn't God's purpose. It wasn't yeah. his plan. The phrase that they used was, of the flesh which simply means it wasn't of God. It was their idea. They're the ones that took it in their hands to make it happen. 
Paul goes on to build on the metaphor. He says that the two women are two covenants, specifically Hagar. Which covenant did she correspond with? He's saying they're like two covenants. Like two covenants, yeah. 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 They're the covenant of the law. Yeah, because they're hundreds of years before Sinai, but he Mm -hmm. says Hagar is Mount Sinai. Mm -hmm. And hundreds of years even more before Jerusalem, but he says Sarah is Jerusalem. Yeah. Or the new Jerusalem and so forth. So he's really... It's the law versus the promise. All of this is tied together in this allegory. He's seeing so much in it. Mm -hmm. We have to really work at it. Yeah, we have Mm -hmm. to work hard. Yeah. But it was familiar to his readers, and Mm -hmm. especially because the whole goal were these missionaries who really believed Judaism Mm -hmm. should be incorporated into the new faith with Jesus to add it on to that. And so this is their language. Mm -hmm. This is their roots. And maybe in the middle of it all, we just have to remind ourselves, Daniel, that the point that Paul's trying to make is that there's an answer in grace. There's not an answer under law, right? I mean, that's what he's working for. Yeah, he's really stretching an illustration from our perspective. But the point that he's making is the same point he's been making all along. He's not gone off mission. So this is kind of a hyperbolic way of making his point. Which they would have understood, Uh like you said, far easier than we do. Yeah, if you'll remember when we had Randy Richards and Brandon O'Brien here talking about Paul, One of the things we talked about about Paul that sometimes gives us problems is he doesn't handle the scriptures the way we handle the scriptures, but he handled them perfectly in line with the hermeneutic of his day. This was common usage of the scripture in Paul's time. When you take hermeneutics in Bible college or seminary today, day one, don't ever use allegory. Well, here's Paul, and he's using allegory. I think as we try to link this together, okay, why is Paul even telling this story? I think the link that we see is we have Abraham and Sarah taking things into their own hands, trying to rescue the promise for themselves. God gave us a promise. We got to make it happen. Mm -hmm. At Mount Sinai, the people are given the gift of the law. But in that law, it says you have to follow this perfectly to save yourselves. And they find out they can't do that. Mm -hmm. And then we get all the way to Jerusalem. Jesus has already come. He's fulfilled the law. But what's happening in Jerusalem at this time? Same thing. They're trying to take things into their own hands, Mm -hmm. trying to make things happen. Mm -hmm. The beauty in this story is that God didn't leave Hagar and Ishmael alone. He blessed them too. Mm -hmm. But the challenge in this story is, are we going to try to take things in our own hands and do it our way? Or are we going to accept the free gift of grace that God gives to us? great part of the conversation about accepting the free gift of grace that God offers to every one of us. Because no matter how hard we try to earn God's favor, we will always fall short. That's what this allegory Paul is using at the end of chapter 4 is showing us. And so we will finish our look at chapter 4 with more about this allegory in just a moment. Now, as we come down toward the end of another edition of the podcast, I also have one more of our devotional products from Our Daily Bread Ministries that I want to make you aware of. Uh, During this study of Galatians, I'm also taking a little time to fill you in on some of our other more devotional Bible engagement material we have to offer. And this episode, I'm highlighting some of the kids and family devotionals that we have. And one I really hope that you'll check out is our Family Bible Devotional. Because getting your kids to sit still long enough to read the Bible together uh, seems almost impossible, right? And then having meaningful discussions about what you've read is even harder. Well, the Family Bible Devotional is designed to tackle that problem. 
It's a family devotional that cultivates conversation, one that avoids simplistic answers and instead pulls kids into God's unfolding and mysterious and beautiful story with all its twists and turns. The full title of this book is The Family Bible Devotional, Stories from the Bible to Help Kids and Parents Engage and Love the Scriptures. Interested? Well, then go to our discovertheword.org website and click on Store. Then type Devotions for Family into the search bar, and you'll see the Family Bible Devotional there in our store at discovertheword.org. Now, let's wrap up chapter 4 of Galatians and part 4 of our study called It's All About Grace. We are going into our final program that I will be leading in Galatians. As the new kid (laughs) on the block, we gave you the tough part. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then, Elisa, next week you'll be leading us through. The so whatness, yeah. Yeah. And I'm excited to get to the so what because there's so much heavy theology in these chapters three and four. There's so much historical reference and all Mm -hmm. that, that it's going to be fun to get to the, okay, so how does this impact everything now? (laughs) And so I'm looking forward to that. But before we get there, we have one more section that we started talking about last time. Mm -hmm. Paul says that it's an allegory. What's an allegory again? An allegory is an extended story where there's meaning and significance attached to all the different parts of the story. So it's really a story that's telling a different story. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. A lot of symbolism. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. Mm -hmm. And so there's a caution there. Paul's not saying this is how you should live. Correct. He's telling a story so that we can take something away from that story that he's teaching us. In a sense, he's not even telling us this is how you should read the Old Testament. Right. He's basically saying, I'm going to use the Old Testament in a way to illustrate something that I see being fulfilled in the new. Yeah, a story that they would have been very familiar with, his audience. For us, we have to go back. We have to do so much work to try to understand what Paul's saying in this passage. We have to go read a bunch of Old Testament stories to get the context. For them, they would have probably been more familiar. I'm hearing you say that, and I don't want to throw you under the bus or anything, but I'm wondering if they would have understood it. (laughs) The Galatian churches would have been largely Gentile, and I'm wondering if some of this he's writing for the Judaizers. Oh, that could be. Because they would be the ones who would really get this part. I've got a feeling that some of those Gentile folks in the Galatian churches are scratching their heads just like we are. I think that's a good point. And we've talked about that um, in our conversations, especially this week, that Paul knew the Judaizers would be hearing this as well. Okay, yeah, that's good, Mm -hmm. Daniel. To your point, then Mm -hmm. at least that group would have understood it. Right. And you mentioned the Judaizers. Why did you throw them to the story? What have we learned about them in well, the first Well, I didn't throw them in the story. Paul did. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, the Judaizers were believers in Jesus who were also trying to strictly follow the law as part of their relationship with God. Because that had been their whole life, right? Right, yeah. exactly. In some ways, maybe well-meaning. They wanted yeah. to get it right. But in their ambition to get it right, they were adding on to the good mm-hmm. news of Jesus being enough by himself, yeah. the grace that he came to give us. And so with that as the context, we get to this final section of chapter four, which is him again looking to the Old Testament and saying, okay, look, I know you've been spending a lot of time in the Old Testament law trying to follow it. And so I'm using some of these things to teach. Mm -hmm. And so here's an allegory. Let's look at an Old Testament story and I'm going to tell you basically how to interpret it. Or how it could be interpreted. Or how it could be interpreted. And not the way 
I don't want you to look at this Old Testament story as if this is what it was about. Right. Right. That's what he's not saying. But what he is doing is he's using it as a metaphor, mm. a picture of what he's trying to teach them. And what was that? How would we summarize those last 10 verses? Well, it's the story of Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar. So Abraham is the one to whom God gave the promise, really, of restoration that would happen, a blessing at some point. Sarah was his wife. They were advanced in years, both of them. They had no children, and they couldn't quite grasp this promise. And so they took things into their own hands. Uh, Sarah recruited her handmaiden, her slave, Hagar, a foreigner, to sleep with her husband and bear a child, Ishmael. And Assuming that would be God's provision, right? Mm -hmm. It must be God's plan (laughs) because he he hasn't let us do it yet. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where the two are being compared, Uh, Ishmael being the child of a slave and then Isaac eventually being the child of the promise. So eventually God did give them, really supernaturally, a child that was born of Abraham and his wife, Sarah. And God did that, right, because they were way too advanced. And what Paul does with that story is then he extrapolates off of that, okay, Hagar is a picture of Sinai and the law and the current Jerusalem, which is the center of Judaism in the world. She was a slave. She was she a was servant. She was a slave and the law enslaves. I yeah. think that's the connection. That's the he's connection, making. isn't it? And then he says, but Sarah is the new Jerusalem in heaven yeah. where it's freedom. Yeah. And that comes from grace. Yeah. So he's really doing some very novel things with the text. But like you said, he's telling a story to make a point. Yeah. And so last time we finished the conversation talking about how Abraham and Sarah tried to make things happen. At Mount Sinai, the people were given the law as a gift and they tried to follow it fully. But within that law, it said that if they don't follow it fully, they're cursed. And they found out pretty quick that they couldn't keep it. Yeah. And then the current Jerusalem at that time was steeped in the law. They were trying to do the same thing, take it into their own hands, make him accept them by doing all the right things. And Paul's saying it doesn't work that way. Mm. You can try to go that way, but if you do, then you end up, and it was a really painful verse that we had to read, but you end up driven out. Mm. The slave woman and her child were driven out. Although the good thing for us is that even in that story, as ugly and painful as it was, God still took care of Hagar and Ishmael. It's really interesting, Daniel. He tells us what the point is. Yeah. But our Bible people have put the chapter break in the wrong place. Mm -hmm. Verse 1 of chapter 5 should be connected to chapter 4. Elisa, read verse 1 of chapter 5 and see if that doesn't Give the point. Give the point that Paul's trying to make. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. slavery. Yeah, that's good. And it is neat, and we'll go into this next week. The next two chapters are about, are you going to live in freedom or are you going to slip back? And that's what he's been talking about throughout the whole book. Mm. He's really saying then that in law, there's dysfunction and loss and failure, right? Slavery. Yeah, and slavery and bondage, like Hagar, Mm -hmm. her problems. Mm -hmm. But in Christ and in grace, there's freedom, Mm -hmm. there's liberty. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but he takes it a step further and says that Sarah reflects the new Jerusalem. Now, what's that going to be like? Will somebody turn to Revelation chapter 21 and read verses 2 through 5? Sure. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Uh, But that's going to be by grace, isn't it? Of course. There's nothing in that passage about us earning the right to the new Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. Paul is comparing these two ideas. You can try to take it into your own hands and make things happen. And where do you end up? You end up cursed because you can't fulfill it fully. You end up without life because the law can't bring life. Mm -hmm. You end up without hope because the law can't bring hope. But if you accept this free gift of grace, Jesus becomes the curse. Jesus fulfills the law. Jesus leads you into the new Jerusalem where what? There's no more death Mm. or mourning or crying or pain where God is making all things new. The best part, he's dwelling with his people. Isn't that powerful? Yeah. And that happens after our loss and emptiness, doesn't it? After our inability to do it for ourselves, Mm -hmm. then God steps in with the rescue. Yeah. There's no more tears, no more death, no more pain. And how do we get to that experience? Well, Paul's been saying it over and over and over and over and over and over again (laughs) by faith. You can't earn this. This isn't something you can make happen. There's things that you're going to do as a result. If this really penetrates your heart, this faith, it's going to change the way you live. Mm -hmm. And we're going to see that in the next two chapters. Mm -hmm. But the beginning part has nothing to do with anything you do. It's a free gift of God, God's grace, Mm -hmm. that says, hey, you can cry out to me, Abba Daddy. I love you. I want you right here with me. You're my kids, not because of anything you've done, but because I've done everything for you. And that's why, in a sense, he's telling the Judaizers, when you look back in your history, you're not looking back far enough. You're looking at Moses, (laughs) but he's not the prototype. Abraham, who believed God, is the prototype. Mm. Alicia, does that set you up for next week? I think so. I mean, I'm raring to go. But all of this meat that we have been chewing on, you know, for the last several weeks is vital. It is because of these arguments and receiving grace as a gift rather than trying to earn it. That's the only way we can live out our destiny the way God designed us to live in freedom. It's all about grace. That's the message of Galatians. That's the message of the gospel that we can't lose sight of. A good way to close this episode on Galatians chapter 4. Great job, Daniel. Thanks for leading us through these rather difficult two middle chapters of Galatians. And now I'm looking forward to having Elisa guide us through chapter 5 next time. You're listening to the Discover the Word podcast with Marty Hahn, Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and Daniel Ryan Day. And we've just finished part four of our study in Galatians titled, It's All About Grace. And we've got two more parts ahead of us now, so make sure you're here at the table with us for our next two episodes. And in our next episode, we'll run into some of the most familiar parts of this letter to the Galatians. But I think you'll come to an understanding of things like the fruit of the Spirit and why Paul put that in the letter to the Galatians in a fresh way. 
Discover the Word is a small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the scriptures, that challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ, and always point us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. Well, here at Discover the Word and Our Daily Bread Ministries, it is our mission to make the life-changing story and wisdom of the Bible understandable and accessible to people all around the world. And when you give a financial gift, your donation provides the fuel that's needed to help us accomplish that mission. You can give when you visit our website at discovertheword.org. Look for the Donate tab that's up there at the top of the page at discovertheword.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Brian Hedinga. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries.